electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center. This hour, the tech takedown, the sector under heavy selling pressure. This hour, interest rates continue to move higher. Our investment committee here to debate what all of that means to your money. With me for the hour today, Amy Raskin, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Pete Najarian. He, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's good to see everybody. I'll take you to the wall. Let's check stocks. They've been under pressure all morning long. Much of the damage in the NASDAQ, but as you can see, it is not solely there. The Dow's down just about 500 points, nearly a 1.5% decline. S&P's off almost 2%. There's the NASDAQ, which is down 2.5%. The note, the 10-year note, the yield there, 152. Worst day for the S&P and NASDAQ since May. Dow now negative for Q3. Steve Weiss, going to you first because your stuff jumps out to me big time today. You're shorting Micron. You're shorting the SMH. You're shorting the S&P 500. And you have puts in the ARC funds as well. Right. And so I came in with those positions. I've also hedged some of my other positions um, and have some shorts on. Uh, look, my crime I'm going to cover before the close because I think negativity is all there, although I could be fooled like with FedEx where I thought it was negative and yet it went down further. My view in the market has been pretty consistent that the that I just don't see the positive catalysts ahead. I see lots of negative catalysts, but I'm hard pressed to think of anything positive. And let me just go through a few of them. First of all, retail, as we see from the flows, have stopped buying the dips the same way they were in past years. Number one. Number two, supply chain issues have worsened. Labor issues have worsened. And when you see that filter through to companies and a number already had down earnings for 22 versus 21 because you're through the post pandemic push that you're going to see margin compression throughout every sector virtually, maybe not energy at this point, but through most other sectors. Plus, you've got a yield that keeps moving higher. When I was on the show last week, you, you uh, quizzed me about my view that we're going to get to 165 on the 10-year. We're going to get there sooner than even I thought. So all these are conspiring, basically, to keep the market under pressure. Now, I think we'll get a short-term pop when we agree to fund the country. But after that, it's just going to be more of the same. It's going to be a disappointing earnings quarter, and we're not used to seeing those. So I prefer to keep my exposure low, to be out of low-quality names that are trading on a women of prayer, that don't have valuation to rest upon. So I'm keeping my exposure low and being very cautious. So Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, Mr. All-In, I'm going to call you that because right now you have zero cash. You have zero cash and a big smile on your face. And you say don't be thrown by the move in the 10-year. So when you hear Weiss lay out what he sees in the market, do you want to just completely counter all of that? Yes, 
Yes. I mean, my good friend uh, Steve is sort of picking the facts and inflating them to make it sound uh, like the conclusion he's drawn is the correct one. I think he's absolutely wrong. I mean, let's start with the most important thing, bar none. Delta has peaked in the U.S., I talked about that, and basically all I was doing was parroting Scott Gottlieb a month ago. But it has peaked. The numbers clearly show it. And as that peaks and as people gain confidence, which there has been shown to be a very tight correlation between consumer confidence and the rise or decline in the COVID cases, you will see people come back out of their homes, start traveling again. You're already starting to see slight signs of improvement in air travel. Uh, The reopening will continue apace. And you look at these stocks, whether it's airlines, casinos, uh, hotels that have been really, frankly, slaughtered from May until just last week. Uh, That's where the opportunity lies. This is not a time to hunker down. Now, where Steve is correct, and I'll grant him this, there is near-term volatility. We're seeing it, all right? We're right back to where we were on Monday. And what's the source of that volatility? It's Washington, D.C., I have been through many episodes of the government shutting down. I have been through many episodes of the debt ceiling debate. In all cases, they have resolved themselves positively. And in all cases, it's moment exactly like today's right. where you are supposed right. to step into the breach. I don't think that's right. Where, where, where do you differ? I, I mean, don't, factually, I do where not do you think, differ? I every do time, not, I do every not, time the government has shut down, it has think, reopened. I do every not time think, the government has shut down, I it has reopened. I do not think exactly. Exactly. Which is why I don't think the sell off has anything to do with what's happening in Washington, D.C., because we've seen this movie a thousand times Ah. before and we know exactly what's going to happen. The crazy thing is you didn't even mention the move in interest rates. rates. You didn't mention the move in interest rates. Let's go there. We've had a huge. Well, shouldn't we go there first? Shouldn't that be the first thing we talk about? That's what's driving the markets. No, I, I, well, listen, we're going to disagree. And you and I, right now, we're talking opinions. We're entitled to disagree, but they are opinions. However, you are correct Mine's that factual, interest rates matter. Is there, is, is there anyone here who didn't think that interest rates were going to go up from 1.2%? They're at 1.54%. These are not exactly nosebleed levels. Did you think Frankly, they were going to go? these are levels that help the financials. Did you think it was going to go that fast? Because that's the story. It's not the level. It's I don't pace. think this, Scott, I don't think this is that fast. I mean, let's just stop right there. I don't think it's that fast. It's fast enough to knock the market down 2% in a big day, in a day, to which I say big deal. And if you're not invested right now, this is the time to buy, not the time to sell. I don't know if I can make that point any clearer. The economy is in very strong shape. Profits are high. They are growing. Those profits get recycled in the form of capital expenditures and hiring. The Fed is still accommodative. We are likely, not definite, but likely to get infrastructure. I, to me, the positives very far outweigh the negatives. And a, and a move of 20 basis points in the 10-year just doesn't throw me from that conclusion. Right. You're supposed to be all in right now. You're supposed to be all in on cyclicals. Amy Raskin. Who's right, Jim um, or Steve? Well, I'm going to kind of go down the middle. I, I don't where, where my disagreement with Jim is that I don't think Delta is go, Delta waning is going to be what drives the market. The market's basically doubled since last March without a correction in 18 months in the face of Delta, in the face of China slowing, in the face of lots of issues. So. Um, sort of counterintuitively, an opening might be worse for the market because that might bring the Fed in off the sidelines and reduce the liquidity in financial markets and put it more into the actual economy. So I, 
I think what, where I think we are right now is that these moves are sort of self-limiting. I think interest rates will continue to go up, but then they will reach a, a level. I think it's not that much higher from here, probably one eight between one eight and two, where money will start going out of the equity market and back into the bond market. It will worry the equity market enough that you'll get a decline in the market, and then the Fed will sort of ease again, and you'll, you're sort of getting this cycle of we're going to like value for a while, we're going to like cyclicals for a while. I think that's where we are right now. And then that will get to an extreme and then we'll come back into the growth and then stocks and that will get to an extreme. And and I think that's what we're seeing. I don't think we're headed to a recession, which would take the market market down a lot. But we are at very high valuations. Um, there are a lot of things to worry about, as Steve um, highlighted. I think higher interest rates are going to keep a cap on the growth stocks, which means a cap on the market. Pete, um, it's clear investors don't like tech right now, right? Um, big tech's down across the board. Week to date, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, three, three and a half, four and a half percent. Microsoft's down five. Facebook's down three and a half percent. The month to date gains are, are worse. Than, I mean, the, uh, the month to date drop is worse than that. Um, for obvious reasons, rates up. It hurts that trade. Uh, is that tech trade in trouble, Pete? I don't know that it's in trouble, Scott, but I think the biggest concerns that I have is something that I've been bringing up for the last couple of weeks has been the, the idea, Scott, of the Vs. And we talk about volatility all the time, but it's also velocity. And I've brought it up almost every time I've been on with you for all the right reasons. Take a look at the 10-year. Now, that's where Jim and I normally do agree. I disagree with you, Jim. Unfortunately, I think this is a big vol velocity move. When we go from 1.31 just a week ago, and here today we pushed up towards what, 1.56 or something like that on the 10-year, that's a pretty major move. Take a look at the volatility index. From yesterday to today, today, today it's up 24%. It went from the 18s up to the 23s, 24. So we are seeing things happen very, very rapidly. And I think under circumstances like that, you're going to see the exaggerated moves both in the positive and the negative. And clearly we're seeing it on the negative side right now for the NASDAQ. So when I look at these big tech stocks, do I still like them? Absolutely I do. Do I think the reason that they've gone down quite the way they have because of all the different things that within the market that are causing the, vol the velocity of these moves? Absolutely. If this was just a slow methodical move from the 10-year and a slow move from crude, which it is not, um, then, then I think things would look a little bit different. But the move in crude and the move in the 10-year have been very, very rapid when you really consider just in the last week, the last two weeks, the last month. It's been pretty extraordinary. So because of that, I do think that the markets are, are sort of like it's e either you've got to have it or you want to get rid of it. And clearly, look at the moves that Steve Weiss has going on right now. He's talked about, you know, just about everything was negative. I'm not saying he's wrong. I, I actually fully understand it. And the reason I think that Steve is positioning himself that way is because of exactly what we are seeing now. When you start to get volatility picking up, when you start to get the velocity absolutely accelerating to the upside, that really does say a lot. And the third one, which is volume, that's still a part of this as well. Scott, in the derivatives world, we continue to trade anywhere between 36 million and call it 44 million each and every day. I mean, it's just extraordinary what we are seeing in terms of volume. So we're seeing all three V's take a part of this market right now. And that's exactly what we're seeing causing a lot of the moves like today. Absolutely. All right, Steve Weiss, you get your chance. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I'd like to uh, come and defend Jim, but uh, but I can't because I don't believe he's right. It's it's not about where rates are. 
It's sure it's the velocity, as Pete pointed out, and as you pointed out, but it's where they're going. And they, if you took a snapshot and said, okay, this is it for rates, 1.52, fine, I'm there, I'm great. But that's not it. Plus, you also had Powell come out and say inflationary pressures are going to stay higher for longer. Mm -hmm. So that's also pressing on yields. So what I think you're seeing here is the market, the bond market, getting in front of the Fed, which is going to have to pull forward their tightening policy. And that's going to be very clear. So you're seeing companies getting squeezed from both ends. And I think that's an issue. So, look, I'm not saying the market's going to crash. No. But I do think that we've seen a crash in a number of sectors. I just think that you want to be cautious. You don't have to be all in. You should never be all in. You should always have cash on the sideline to deploy in moments like this. So it would be great if Jim had that cash right now. Say, you know what? The market's taking a real hit, particularly some great growth hey, stocks, Steve. some great technology stocks. I'd like Steve. to buy them. But you can't. Steve. Yes. You know what? Take a look at take a look at the cyclicals over the last week, including today. Okay, take a look at General Motors, mm -hmm. and I know we're going to talk about that oh, later. But the boy. stock's up twelve percent a week. Oh boy! Hang on, I'm not done. Take a look mm -hmm. at Marathon Petroleum. <laughs> take a look at Transocean, which I bought mm -hmm. more of. Take a look at all of these cyclicals, which I was buying last week. No, announced them on the air. Uh, and they're up 10, 12 percent. The market is where it was last week. The cyclicals, the value reopening stocks, they're up 10 percent in the, in the course of a week. I, I, I don't know why you're giving into the hysteria of a bad day. This is just a bad day. And I'm we not, had Jim, the 10-year at 1.73%. We had the 10-year at 1.73% back in March. And you know what the cyclicals and the value and reopening stocks did? They rallied from January to May with the 10-year going up to 1.73%. We're at 1.52%. Big deal. Would everybody please Jim, calm down? Jim, Jim it's, it's, a, it's a mischaracterization to say I'm giving to the hysteria of today. I've been very clear over the last You're weeks, shorting last stocks. Months, You're shorting that I, a, that I have a negative that I have a negative predisposition. I came in short that. I came in short the SMH. I came in short the VOO. I came in short BioNTech. I came in short calls on Moderna. I came in short Novavax. I came in to hedge my positions and to make claims. Kathy so, Wood, I think she's so a phenomenal investor. She'll win out eventually. Right now is not the time. I think what's I don't care about Kathy Woods, and you and you and I know you and I know we're going to agree that that's not our style. Okay. But let me ask you this: You said earlier, when the government funds itself, the market's going to rally. How about if I say when the government approves the infrastructure I bill? I don't know if they will, but they're voting on it Thursday. You know what? What if it does get approved? What are you going to do then? Are you going to wish that you were buying today when you have to buy at higher prices then? Because that's what's going to happen. The infrastructure bill passes. So these cyclicals are going to rally you more. You remain suggestive that the bulk of the move lower in the market and the volatility is due to Washington and not to the velocity of the move in interest rates. And you're in, certainly entitled to that opinion. Um, people will debate it, and we're happy for that debate. Um, I think one of the most punk moves in the market today, uh, Pete, the financials themselves, which have been hot lately. Mm. But look, look, you see the financials now? Rates are going up. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay, now's the moment again. Financials start higher. Mm -hmm. J.P. Morgan hits an all-time high today. Morgan Stanley hits a new high today. What happened after that? They turned negative. The XLF, negative. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, Bank of America is still positive, but, but what's up with that kind of move? 
Well, it, it is interesting, Scott, to see how that's all playing out. We have the same thing really going on with energy. Energy actually was up a couple of percent. It actually started to move even at, you know, after the bell. It got even higher. Financials were up about a half percent, as you mentioned, and then all of a sudden they flip around. We watched energy flip around as well. So, you know, it's interesting, Scott. I think, you know, it, it becomes part of what's going on in the broader market and it gets caught up. I think that if the broader market wasn't getting hit quite to the extent that it is right now, I don't know that you'd see some of those financials coming off some of the levels that where they were. It certainly isn't getting sold off, Scott, because suddenly people look at and they say, oh, you know what, these things are way too expensive at this level. That's not what it was. This is a reaction because of everything else that's going on within the market. So it, we see this type of thing happen all the time. I don't think it's necessarily a justified reason to be selling these. So as a matter of fact, I would be sitting on the sidelines looking for other names that I might want to add to the portfolio in the financial space. We have we've seen XLF buying almost every single day, Scott. We've seen individual names, whether it's Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan or Bank of America each and every day. Bank of America even today. We've seen a lot of buying in the options world in all of those. I think that's still going to play out. I think it's still going to work. But we're just seeing a reaction today because of everything else but that is getting sold off along with tech. And sometimes people just they reach because they're they're panicked on tech. They don't necessarily want to sell their Apple, so they're going to take a little bit of profit maybe in the financials. Like That's you, the craziness of the market. But you haven't even mentioned you sold Wells Fargo. So what's, I the, did. what's the story with that? Okay, so I'll give you exactly the story. Uh, I sold Wells Fargo. I've had a really nice run in it. I actually took a look back. I bought it in February 21st of 2020. It's had a great move. This year it's had another great move. And all of a sudden I'm starting to look, and are they going to be able to grow, Scott? And there was actually a piece out today. From I can't Morgan remember if it was a downgrade or just talking yep. about the price. No, it was downgraded. Right. And, downgraded and be- at Morgan Stanley. Yep. Price target goes uh, to and 46, to- so zero, zero move right. uh, expected in the stock from here. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for zero moves. I'm here for moves. And if I can get that added, obviously, the dividend yield and selling calls against it, that's where it all turns into a home run eventually, which is wonderful. So that's what I'm looking for now. I sold that position and I went over to U.S. Bank. Why did I do that? Well, while everything is constricting around Wells Fargo and they've got all kinds of different issues, I look over at U.S. Bank, and all they do, Scott, is continue to make acquisitions everywhere, including in the last week or so, where they bought a a very nice piece, $8 billion, to get themselves that much more into the West Coast of the United States. Those are the kind of moves I'm looking for. I want growth. I don't want contraction. So I bought U.S. Bank. Yes, it is in Minnesota. I get it. Everybody wants to laugh. Uh But Andrew Cesari is a great CEO. He's done a magnificent job, and he's been doing his best to acquire, 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 including in fintech, so that this company continues to be one of the great banks. I think it is a great bank, so I'm back in this name. It's all right that it's in Minnesota. You buy what you know. I mean, people do that all the time. Um, Let's bring in Jonathan Krinsky now. He's a chief market technician. Baycrest joining us once again. Uh, Thank you for joining us. What do you make of the selling? What do the uh, what do the technicals tell you about where we may be going from here? Yes, you know, I think I agree a little bit with um, with both uh, both viewpoints there. I mean, let's let's put things in perspective. First of all, Um, Nasdaq 100 kind of the kind of the crux of the sell-off uh, mega cap tech down about five and a half percent from the highs if we go back to the period we were, that you guys were discussing when rates last had a bit of a move up um, in february and march nasdaq 100 was down around 11 percent um so we're only about half the, we've only seen about half the move down that we saw back then 
Um, and if you think about what worked during that time period, as, as Jim was, was highlighting, uh, you know, it was the cyclicals, it was the value play, and, and value has underperformed growth by about 15% from those spring highs. So we actually think that this move-in rate is um, kind of the catalyst or the trigger to, to kind of see a, a rotation back. Um, you know, and sometimes the mark, it's market direction that matters, and sometimes it's market selection that matters. And I think right now it is market selection. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the reversals in the banks, but there's still a lot of regional banks that are green on the day. Um, so we think this is the start of a, you know, that rotation back into the cyclical. Small caps have done literally nothing since March, um, and S&P's got about 10% um, to its March highs. So, uh, you know, I think there's plenty of runway for this rotation to, to persist, um, you know, and that's going to mean uh, small cap should outperform. It's going to mean regional banks and, and energy and, and materials and all the, all the things you guys are talking about are going to outperform. You know, I think ultimately that will resolve itself in an absolute move higher for the Russell 2000, meaning we'll finally break this trading range we've been in for six months to the upside. Um, but clearly in the near term, the, you know, the, the weakness we're seeing in, in uh, a lot of the big mega cap names is, is having an impact uh, across the entire well, what, uh, market what's, right now. what's ultimately going to happen with that, though? If, if you have the biggest stocks in the market underperform, as you suggest they're about to do, or they're in the midst of, that has to be an overall negative unless you think that the rotation is going to be so powerful and so big that it's going to carry the weight that you lose from the, the largest stocks. Yeah, well, let's go back to that, to that February-March playbook. We had, again, we had the NASDAQ 100 down about 11% um, in that drawdown. Meanwhile, the regional banks from early February into mid-March were up 35%. So they didn't even shrug at that entire um, tech sell-off. And that's, that's the, the environment we're in, and that rates are so powerful to the intermarket correlations that you can have a situation where um, – you know, mega cap tech does its thing, and that's going to, that's going to, you know, let's be clear, FANG is going to drive the S&P 500. So if FANG goes lower, S&P 500 is going lower. But, you know, let's not forget there were areas of the market and, and big areas of the market, regional banks, that were up massively in that drawdown. So I think, you know, the fact that we've gone sideways on regional banks since since March, April, um, and we have rates, and it, again, it's not just rates in the U.S., we have global rates, um, testing or breaking out above their spring highs. We're talking, um, you know, from Japan to Germany to, to all over Europe. So it's, it's a global rate phenomenon. I think that'll benefit some of the sickle clears of the market. And again, it, on a day-to-day basis, sure, it's going to get dragged around a bit by the, by the S&P 500. But ultimately, we think, um, you know, cyclicals should, should start to get outperform again as we head into the fourth quarter. Jonathan Krinsky, I appreciate you coming to the phone. Big day in the market. We'll talk to you soon. Let's now bring in Tom Lee. He's Fundstrat's managing partner. Hey, Tom, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, great to see you, Scott. How are you feeling about your everything rally, Tom? Uh, well, it's really being put to the test today. You know, I know, um, look, I know investors don't like when there's policy turmoil in Washington, but anybody just needs to look at the last uh, 30, 50, 100 years and realize you know, when Washington plays tough, that's not a time to panic on stocks. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't want to sort of say it's a guarantee, but it's almost always been a great buying opportunity. So I, I think that there's been a lot of damage done to like the growth and the tech trade and the S&P um, technicals. But to me, this just seems like a precursor to a consolidation before a big move higher. So, you know, we're still, I'm still strong in the camp that we have an everything rally into your end. I mean, it just feels like there are selective narratives going on, whether it's 
my friend Farmer Jim, or, or you, the narrative that best fits, best fits your, your story. You're suggesting that, again, the volatility that we're witnessing here is due to what's taking place in Washington, more so than a fairly dramatic move in interest rates, not necessarily the level, but the speed in which we've moved. Uh, I mean, yeah. And the only reason I might say that, and again, uh, Scott, I'm going to just say the future is uncertain. So, you know, anything I say isn't anything with certainty uh, in terms of outcomes. But if if anyone said that the economy is going to have trouble with one and a half percent interest rates or even one point eight or that the thesis for owning Apple or Amazon or Facebook or tech broadly is threatened by a 1.5% 10-year yield, we know that it it doesn't sort of stand the test of time. So I think at the moment, uh, there is a general relationship. And, and I was actually, you know, personally sort of wondering, you know, should we maybe dial back the idea of being overweight fang if rates are rising? But then as I, I, as I think about sort of the structural arguments about why demand for tech products is still going to go up and why the U.S. economy is showing incredible resilience and even the stock market's incredibly resilient. We had, you know, huge debt default last week. I think these are reasons why investors need to look through this short-term pain. And I don't think it really changes the, the probabilities of a big rally into your end. But you would still overweight FANG? Yes. I'd say that Epicenter remains, I think, the most likely uh, leaders just because of the increase in rates. And I think we're getting a lot of cues from oil, and even the VIX is behaving. Um, rising rates takes a little bit away from tech, but I, I just think that there's an everything rally because investors got super cautious over the last four to six weeks. The rally last week didn't eliminate that upside potential, and you know, strong markets stay strong. And I think as long as the economy is gaining momentum, which it looks like it is, I think you want to be overweight stocks. Okay. Weiss, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to go to you to counter not only mm-hmm. Farmer Jim, but, but Tom Lee. I mean, they're, they're very sort of sane points. It's not like it's a ridiculous point of view. He, Tom Lee's not the only one saying it, nor is Farmer Jim. Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, use weakness to add to equities. We remain of the view that any weakness should be used to add to equities. So there is that view out there. And when people get overly negative on a day like this, there's a lot of eye rolling that says, oh, my God, chill out. Yeah, well, well, keep in mind, just as I said, it's important. I'm not hysterical over today. Today's not what's driving my thinking. I've covered some of the shorts I came in with, but i am still got some there, and I'm still balanced, still have cash. My view is not based just on rates. It's an amalgamation of events that I think remove the positive catalyst. And while the economy is moving ahead, we've actually lowered some GDP forecasts. So, so you can't say it's getting stronger. It's actually not getting stronger, number one. Number two, my thesis is based on third quarter. It's not based on today. It's not based on yesterday. I think the third quarter earnings reporting period is going to be disappointing. And we've seen some indications of that. Nike, FedEx, and we'll see others. So that's it. So I don't think you can have a roaring bull market when you have both rates going higher. And by the way, now Elizabeth Warren called Powell into question. I don't know how much that's going to help the market if he doesn't get renominated. So I think you've got numbers coming down. We've seen major multiple expansion that's driven the market up. 
major multiple expansion. Fair point. That's not going to continue Fair point. in a raising rate environment. May I come so, in? Tom, no, hold on. I want Tom to respond to that because I think those are very good points, right? Higher rates, lower earnings. That doesn't put pressure on stocks, Tom? Well, I think rates is a headline number. You know, if the economy is expanding and strengthening and there's pent-up demand and shortages and that causes reflation and higher rates, that's obviously very good for earnings. It's good for return on invested capital and it means higher interest rates, but that's exactly the environment from 1950 to 1970. So I think anybody who really studies markets would understand rising rates isn't an equity market killer. And if someone's saying, well, third quarter GDP numbers are going to get cut or earnings are going to miss, so therefore stock markets are topping, I mean, that must mean there was 100 tops in the stock market just since 2010. I think what we have to keep in mind is, you know, bull markets basically end when the the economy itself is exhausting capital. Like, so there aren't any strong returns to be earned. We're in an environment where there's supply chain glitches. It's causing delays and price increases, but that's not an environment that causes profit margins to collapse. Profit margins collapse when there's a demand problem or companies can't pass on price or investors overprice things. I mean, maybe someone can believe that, and I think Steve believes some of those pieces are in place, but to me, I don't think it's ever happened year one into an expansion. To me, this is just an early cycle situation. Bull markets, um, forgive me, Tom, bull markets also end when the Fed changes its policy. And if you have a Fed chair who suggests that inflation, I mean, this is like a weekly thing now. Yes, it's hotter and it's probably lasts longer than we expected. If that becomes a problem, and I'm not even talking about the taper, I'm talking about things that the Fed may have to do into next year that even a Jamie Dimon, for example, throws out as a possibility uh, it, it's what Lee, Co- Lee Cooperman calls a hostile Fed, right? Bull, he goes through this thing with bull markets and for a variety of reasons, but a hostile Fed, in his words, and that's what he is speaking about, um, could have an impact as well. What's also interesting is that energy is your favorite sector. So energy's moved a lot. Now, energy would have a less dramatic move or an impact, if you will, on the overall market because it's such a small part of the market. Right, Tom? But you think there's still right. room to run for energy stocks? Yes, that's right. But uh, can I just add one thing before Tom answers? Tom, can I, let me just inject one thing. Well, I, if I said you no, would it make Jim a difference? Because it sounds like you're doing it anyway. Go ahead. Not at this point, because I got, I got going. Go ahead. You're all but revved up. Go ahead. You, you and Jim both look for, look for commodity stocks to continue to move. You can look for oil to continue to move. What happens to the increasing cost to, add to oil as a feedstock to aluminum, to steel. It's going to hurt margins. So it just doesn't evaporate into the air. Somebody's got to pay for it, and that causes uh, inflation. So, yeah, I mean, most sectors may do okay, wait, please, but it's going to hurt that. the margins for the quarter. Yeah. Tom Lee. Yeah. Uh, so just there's a lot of things to cover. But just on Steve's point, you know, do you guys remember when sugar prices went up in 2008 and every it tripled and everyone said it, where our food costs were going to go through the roof? And as you know, a box of cereal contains 25 cents worth of food, so it has almost no impact. Um, we're overstating commodities. Mean, you know, com- commodities consumption in the U.S. is 900 billion for oil in the U.S. It's a 24 trillion dollar economy, so oil can go up a lot, and it's not going to pinch wallets as much as people think. You need to get to 120 dollars or more to actually even be comparable to 80 dollars oil in 2008. But Scott, to your point about the Fed, it 
you're you're dead right. If we have a policy error, we can have a fine economy and the stock market will react to that. So I do think there's risk. I mean, I hope Powell doesn't rage quit because he's being criticized again. I'm, I'm kind of kidding on that. But um, I think the Fed's been real, has understands the nuance and the importance of actually stable financial markets in the context of full employment inflation. So uh, you're, you're right, though. It's a huge risk. I mean, the Fed is still the most powerful entity in the world. Well, I mean, Weiss is also right, though, about the idea of, of just rising costs. You look at cotton, for example, it's like up over a dollar a pound today for the first time since since 2011. So inflation cuts both ways, right? It it has a hit on our wallet and it also has a hit on corporate margins. And those companies who have pricing power can offset some of that. Those who don't have as much, in part to Weiss's point, are the ones whose earnings then are impacted, thus their stocks are impacted, thus our overall view of what was a margin expansion world becomes a little more difficult to get gains. Um, Tom, you're going to join us on Friday, but I I had to have you on today. I had to hear your voice on on what you thought about all this, so I'll tease that. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you so much for coming on with us, okay? That's Tom Lee of, of Fundstrat. All right. Up next, a lot of headlines coming out of Fed Chair Powell today. The Treasury Secretary is there as well in the testimony on Capitol Hill. We're going to go to a break. We'll check on the major averages. There you go. The Dow's down 523. Nasdaq's down 375. The yield on the 10 years at 152. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahal Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin going before the Senate defending the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. He says that it will be difficult but possible to contain extremist threats without troops on the ground there. And at that same hearing, the top U.S. military officer explaining why he called his Chinese counterpart twice near the end of the Trump administration to tell him that 
No U.S. attack was being considered. General Mark Milley said that he was responding to, quote, concerning intelligence reports that China was worried and did not go around civilian officials. And on the news, full analysis of the Afghanistan hearings and where the Taliban are now banning women. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. The gunman who killed five people at a newspaper in Maryland has been sentenced to more than five life sentences without a chance of parole. Jared Ramos told a state psychiatrist that he would kill more people if he were ever released. And in Ontario, Canada, 30 of the 39 workers trapped in a mine have made it safely to the surface. Company officials say that the rest are on their way and all are in good condition. They've been trapped underground by an accident since Sunday. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, Fed Chair Powell, Treasury Secretary Yellen, wrapping up their testimony on Capitol Hill. There are many headlines. And Steve Leisman, I guess the biggest one may end up being what Senator Warren had to say about the Fed chair. And even for her, this was a little bit hyperbolic, no? Yeah, Scott, but you be the judge. I got two big headlines to tell you about. Warren's one of them. I'll get to the other one in just a second. But let me pick up where you started. Senator Elizabeth Warren stating outright she will oppose Fed Chair Powell's renomination, alleging that Powell had weakened banking regulations and calling him a, quote, dangerous man to head the Federal Reserve. Renominating you means gambling that for the next five years, a Republican majority at the Federal Reserve with a Republican chair who has regularly voted to deregulate Wall Street won't drive this economy over a financial cliff again. And with so many qualified candidates for this job, I just don't think that's a risk worth taking. Your record gives me grave concern over and over. You have acted to make our banking system less safe, and that makes you a dangerous man to head up the Fed, and it's why I will oppose your renomination. Powell categorically rejected Warren's claim, saying the banks had historic levels of capital and that the Volcker rule, which uh, Warren mentioned, was changed because it was found to be unworkable. Only on one of Warren's points did Powell concede it was at least worth revisiting. No senator followed up Warren's comments but only a single Republican senator defended Powell. No Democratic senator did so. Markets have to consider now how important is opposition to Powell's renomination from progressive Democrats like Warren, how important that is for President Biden. But separately, moments ago, a significant development in the ethics controversy at the Fed. Powell revealed for the first time the Fed is looking at whether trades by Fed presidents Eric Rosengren and Robert Kaplan were, quote, within the law. It's the first time the Fed has said there is a legal review of these tradings. Both presidents have announced their resignations over trading that Powell also said appeared to be within the Fed's code of conduct. And he added that showed the need for the rules to change. He said the Fed would, quote, rise to this moment and address the ethics issues. Scott? So a couple things. Um, you said it yesterday in one of the conversations you had on this network, and I thought it immediately the, the minute it happened during the press conference last week. When Jay Powell was asked directly if he still had confidence in the ability of Rosengren and Kaplan to do their jobs, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the nature and the, and the, the spirit of the question, and he did not answer it directly. You knew from that moment, Steve, that the writing was on the wall. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I knew this was going to happen. I have never seen something like this happen before. The only precedent here was Jeff Lacker, who was found after an investigation to have talked to a reporter uh, saying things he perhaps should not have said. Uh, he ended up resigning, but nothing, nothing like this before, Scott. Um, I knew something was going to happen. I didn't think both 
uh, presidents would end up resigning uh, in the same day. We've never seen anything like that. But certainly, you're right. Powell was asked, are you confident? He said, nobody is happy. This has happened. Did not express his confidence. My understanding, Scott, by the way, is Powell did not ask for their resignation. That, that's interesting um, it, as well to know from, from your reporting. Um, look, lastly, this idea that it, it feels to me, Steve, you correct me if I'm wrong, that every time we hear from Powell now publicly, we get another inflation seems like it's hotter and it's going to last longer than we expected. At what point do we question what the heck they're looking at? I mean, how many people come on the network and say the Fed's wrong? It's 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 going to be more persistent and it's going to be hotter. Um, and yet we feel like we're getting this every time. I think you're absolutely right about the first point. Powell has increasingly amped up his concern over inflation. They've gone from saying it was transitory to saying it would be transitory plus a few months, then transitory plus a few more months. Today, Scott, I'm sure you noticed there was a significant development. He was asked by Toomey, is it structural? And he seemed to say, yes, it is. Um, I, I would say, Scott, in the Fed's defense, if you will, uh, nobody's ever reopened an economy. Um, we don't quite understand exactly what it's going to take to reopen the ports. Uh, the idea that there is a permanent shipping uh, problem in the world is probably news to everybody. Maybe people understood this was going to happen. The issue really becomes not those elements that caused it. The issue is the Fed's policy response. And I would go back to comments that I've made for a very long time, which is why the Fed did not react in its policy to the massive amount of spending from the fiscal side. That, I think, will go down as being the big mistake that was made. Yeah. Uh Good insight, Steve, as always. Thank you. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Up next, we have more moves from the investment committee. Pete has unusual activity. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. Amy, coming to you because you have some interesting moves that you've made. You bought more Nike, plays into our yeah. conversation about supply chains and things like that. Stitch Fix and Verizon, can you tell us why for each? Sure. So um, we bought Nike after the miss, as Steve pointed out, um, for the quarter. We think um, certainly they're going to have supply chain issues in the near term and there could potentially be China weakness. But we think people are missing the bigger story, which is now that Nike is going direct to their customers, they're disintermediating the middleman and they have a lot of room for margin improvement. So even though they brought sales growth expectations down, they brought margins up. And we think that's that's the key to the Nike story longer term. Stitch Fix, we think there's a lot of opportunity for this company. Had a great quarter. Um, we think it's a $4.5 billion market cap. They have a ton of data on their customers. Their algorithms are proving really effective. Um, this, I just don't think traditional retail can compete with this model. It's just it's too good of a model. Um, there is some execution risk, but we like it longer term, and this could be a much bigger company in a few years. And Verizon's a little bit defensive, um, you know, just just 
keeping the beta of the portfolio within range. Um, but we also think Verizon has a lot of opportunity um, with, with 5G rolling out um, to, to grow and um, improve their margins as well. All right. Thank you. All right. Coming up. Unusual activity. We'll find out where Pete sees opportunity in the options market today. And we have another debate between Farmer Jim and Steve Weiss. Well, I can't wait for that. All right, Pete, you're a good man. You've been patient. I appreciate that. Unusual activity. What do you see today? Well, I got to tell you, my most exposure of any single sector is absolutely in energy, and I'm going to give you another name, Occidental. Now, XOP was hitting yesterday. I love these beta names. Occidental, they're going after January, Scott. They bought 3,400 of the January 33 calls, aggressively bought. Those are going because of the time frame that you're going out in time. 250, 270, that's about the option range. Stock was a little bit over 30 at the time that we saw this hitting. Next, I got one for you. We haven't talked about the metals in a long time. We're starting to see a little bit of a pickup there. As a matter of fact, we saw Barrick Gold hitting just a few minutes ago, but I'm going to give you GDX. Now, that's the Gold Miners Index. Jan, uh, the November 33 calls, all in one print, 4,000 of those were bought today. That just tells me people are starting to diversify a little bit more and getting out there. I like both these names, but I continue to love these beta names and energy. I appreciate that, Pete. Thank you very much. And did you know that CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference takes place tomorrow and you can still register at DeliveringAlpha.com. I'm going to be speaking to two top investors there. The alpha maverick himself, Chamath Palihapitiya. He's the founder and CEO of Social Capital. Brad Gerstner is the chairman and CEO of Altimeter Capital. And I cannot wait for both of those conversations. Up next, Weiss and Jim weigh in on a new call on General Motors. And we'll do final trades next. Let's get you caught up on the markets really quick. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is approaching a 600-point loss. 575 is where we are right now. That's a loss of one and two-thirds percent. The S&P 500 with a greater than 2% decline. And the NASDAQ with two and three-quarters percent. Tech has really been a place of selling today as the 10-year note yield has moved higher, uh, about 1.53, 1.52%, and something certainly to keep an eye on. The other thing we're watching is General Motors. It was reiterated today overweight at Morgan Stanley. I think that must have been Adam Jonas. What makes it most interesting, though, is that Steve Weiss, you sold General Motors last week. Let's get it on right now. Right. So so the reason I sold it is that it was a tech position that was left because I was out of most of it. And I added to Volkswagen around 30 bucks. Volkswagen to me is just it is a cheaper stock. It's cheaper about it by a two multiple turn this year and next year. It's growing faster. It's got a nice yield. They've got great exposure in in China with leading market share there. But most importantly, they had committed 50 billion to EVs way before GM, before anybody else, and will be the leading EV seller in the world either at the end of this year or next year. And their models are excellent. The whole line's going to be EV way before GM. So that's why I like it, growing faster in the right spot. And if they ever spin out Porsche, I mean, you've got Volkswagen at a six multiple. You've got Ferrari at a 40 multiple. The value there would be humongous. Jim, your guy was riding shotgun with you, and now he bailed on you. 
Yeah, but I, I thought this was going to be like a pitcher versus batter duel, and now I feel like you know I'm playing baseball and he's playing cricket. I think he's doing something different. Let me just give you the thesis on GM. <laughs> the electrical, electric vehicle platform is extraordinarily strong and robust, and it's technology they can license and will license to others. The autonomous vehicle unit, Cruise, could be spun off. I think that will have quite a bit more value than Porsche. Uh, you've got demand that is pent up for uh, cars, but most importantly, trucks and SUVs that are at record high average transaction prices. And more than anything, respect the price action in the last week. It's up 10% in the last week. It was up just a minute ago on a day when the S&P is off 2%. Respect the bid for GM right now. Yeah, I mean, even though, you know, the last three months, Jim, it has been a disappointment. The, everything cyclical has stunk the last three months. I mean, you can say that about GM. You can say that about the energy stocks. You can say it about industrial stocks. It's true. It's a factual statement. It's also factual to say there's a bid right now, and it's going to continue. The one thing, obviously, we want more semiconductor chips. I don't think there's going to be a hallelujah moment when that comes. I think it's just going to be a slow thaw that production picks up. The most Not important thing is demand is there. Demand is there. Right, but I mean, even Lisa Sue out at code uh, told our guys out there it's not going to happen this year and for the first half of next year it's going to be a tough situation as well for the chip shortage so it's not going to be solved really any time in the most immediate future it's it's going to be there's going to be a slow thaw as some of the issues like fires at plants in japan and droughts in taiwan as those ease and get repaired you get a slow thaw what lisa sue was talking about and i heard her comments is that the new plants that have been being built for the last year will take two years to be fully built so that long-term supply comes on in the second half of next year but in the short term you're going to see that slow thaw as some of the overhang that has been temporary in nature starts to ease give me a final trade real quick if you could farmer jim alaska airlines also respect the bid in airlines oh all right mr all in putting some money to work there amy um as i said earlier stitch fix like the business model for a long-term investment okay steve weiss dick sporting goods stocks under pressure i think it trades back up with the market all right and pete nigerian Sticking with energy, Scott, I'm going to give you XOP. It's going to give you all those beta names that I talk about each and every day. Yeah, looking at crude oil, it's, um, it was above 75.50 earlier today. It's another interesting move there, too, because now it has gone negative on the day. So we're watching a whole bunch of things today. So is the exchange. It begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.